Whoa, let's roll right on in here then. Hello. And welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast in which we watch a romantic movie and tell you why the person who did the choosing between love options picked the wrong choice. I'm Jennifer. I'm Samantha. And I'm Sadie. And we just started recording (laughs) instead of like chatting beforehand, like usual tonight. So now none of us know what to say next. (laughs) We just need to say what movie we're doing. And we are doing Death Becomes Her, a movie that until I started watching, I thought starred Kevin Klein from the poster, but did not star Kevin Klein. It had Bruce Willis in it, although Kevin Klein was initially attached. Hence why they gave Bruce Willis hair, I guess. Oh. And then when like Bruce Willis is supposed to have aged later, they let him have like his real hair. I see. Because he was like pretty thickly wigged at the beginning of this movie. What? Yeah, this is a 1992 Robert Zemeckis classic, baby. Well, a queer cult classic, at least. Huh. The only type of classic that counts. I my nickname in the <laughs> in the chat today is Bruce Willis's hair, and the reason for that is because I am obsessed with Bruce Willis's hair. And that's all I have to say. But anyway, whoever is going to be doing the summarizing for this spooky flick, please. Take it away. Samantha. Yes, Jen. Are you and Take I, or I summarizing? Okay, I'm no, summarizing. I happily cede the floor. Our darling, beautiful baby Sagittarius Sadie, unfortunately, is ill today. So if you guys notice her being quiet, please send her messages of love and support instead of hate mail for not speaking out enough on this episode <laughs> I, of our fine podcast. <laughs> I'm speaking out. <laughs> I've been silenced. (laughs) Were you silent or were you silenced? (laughs) Sadie has been silenced. And Samantha, please feel free to jump into this freewheeling summary I am about to present with anything that I may leave out or you feel should be noted at the time. I welcome your commentary. Okay, so anyway... At the beginning of the movie, which I am looking at the Wikipedia page for right now, it says it's supposed to begin in 1978. I didn't realize that. But anyway, we're like on Broadway and there are a bunch of people complaining because they go see Meryl Streep do this like honestly legitimately awesome musical that just appears to be about how hot and youthful she is with like bellboys carrying her around. But everybody thinks this is super lame except Bruce Willis with hair, who is into it to a point that really upsets his fiance, who is Goldie Hawn, with the color of hair that all of us who had super blonde hair as children have as adults now. And anyway, Meryl Streep realizes, oh, by the way, Meryl Streep's name is Madeline Ashton, and Goldie Hawn's name is Helen Sharp, and Bruce Willis's name is Ernest Menville. Do I have that correct? His name is actually irrelevant. Yes. Ha ha. That's the correct answer. It really is actually irrelevant. And that was just a memory exercise I just did for myself just now, squinting my eyes shut really tight while I didn't look at the Wikipedia page in front of me so I could see if my memory actually still works. And I'm very pleased with myself. So anyway, 
Bruce Willis is super into Madeline, who is coming on to him hardcore. I'm just going to use the actors' names from here on out because we don't give a fuck about their movie names. And he and Meryl Streep get married, and Goldie Hawn is left devastated. And then there is this super gross, uh, but fortunately brief, like very fat phobic scene where we see how her life has ostensibly fallen apart, and she gets committed to a mental institution. And it, 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 none of this makes any like actual real world narrative sense. But then it's been like 10 years later, and then it's been seven years after that. So we're 17 years in the future, and Meryl Streep and Bruce Willis are married and live in a gigantic mansion, but are absolutely miserable together. Meryl Streep is clearly terrified of growing older. Uh, Bruce Willis is now like, somehow he lost his plastic surgery career and is doing makeup for corpses and is like like an alcoholic. I don't know. Anyway, and they hate each other. They get invited Would he be to- called a mortician? <laughs> well, you know, I, I like the idea of him being called that. a corpse makeup artist. You <laughs> would think business card. something oh a mortician God. would do. <laughs> you would think, but they just apparently call him in to do like the makeup for the bodies. But like he does none of the other like whatever formaldehyde injecting and whatever goes on in the preparation of bodies for burial. He just turns up to make their faces look good. And apparently he's really good at it. Which we'll get into this shortly, but Bruce Willis is super strange casting to me in this movie. Like everybody else kind of like makes sense and makes it work. And then Bruce Willis, it's like, honey, how did you find yourself in this life? Like, how did you wander into this? Where did, do you, uh, like watching this, do either of you believe for even like a nanosecond that Bruce Willis could do like a flawless makeup job on someone and make them look beautiful. Yeah. yeah it's Kevin not Klein realistic. would have been much better in this role. <laughs> so it's it weird. Not but realistic. Bruce Willis, that's what he does with his life. <laughs> I don't so- <laughs> I'm not sure Bruce Willis understood like what was going on in the movie. Uh I'll spoil my trivia point. No, <laughs> which is wait, the- <laughs> save it, save it, Samantha, because I have we, to say it. we're gonna get there. So we're not ready yet. Because nobody has even died yet in the summary. Like Okay. Hold it. But hold right it. after the summary. Because you we promise. need it. Oh, I promise. <laughs> I promise. Because it's all I can think about. Like I <laughs> we have to discuss this. All right. Pin stuck right in Bruce Willis at that point. So anyway, Bruce Willis and Meryl Streep are super miserable together. Meryl Streep is all worried that like she's she's old and her career is falling apart. So anyway, they get invited to Goldie Hawn's book launch party because this is how things work in this universe. And Meryl Streep really wants to like zazzle Goldie Hawn uh, by being extra beautiful, but she gets turned down at her spa. She goes to for treatments because the plasma separation is too traumatic for the body to go through regularly. And she only had one three weeks ago. And like the twitchy man who apparently runs the place gives her a card of a mysterious. Hang on, I am going to look at this character name. Liesel Liesel von Rumen. Yeah, yes, Liesel von Rumen. Uh, and tells her that she needs to go check this person out. Meryl Streep is not interested, tears the card in two. She and miserable Bruce Willis go to the party together, and bam! Goldie Hawn is there, and now she is super ridiculously, like conventionally gorgeous, wearing a red dress, 
and meets both of them and tells them completely oppositional things about how she does not blame whoever she's talking to at the moment for the dissolution of her engagement to Bruce Willis. And it all seems really sketch. Like Meryl Streep sees her doing this, you know, and is like, oh, this bitch is planning something bad for me. And indeed, she is. So let's see. Meryl Streep leaves this party and is all upset. She's wearing a different outfit by then. How did that happen? Maybe she went and changed because she's going to meet her young, like, pool boy lover. And she catches him with another young woman. And it's super traumatic and rain falls, but only on her and not on the dude. And she drives off recklessly into the night. And we think she's about to wreck, and she, but she doesn't. And her purse spills over instead. And she finds the card. And so she goes to Liesel von Rumen's mansion and... Liesel von Rumen turns out to have like a, a like a Fabio-esque butler boy in like a velvet unitard with a golden wrestling championship belt and brings her inside. And Liesel von Rumen turns out to be Isabella Rossellini, like topless with a giant necklace that covers the titties. And it was at the moment that she stood up from her chair, I realized why young Justin, my very own husband, who uh, has a real Not thing currently for, very young, <laughs> for <but> Scorpio women, <laughs> Jen's was current appropriately aged husband <laughs> when he was very young. <laughs> yes. It all became clear. I was like, oh, I was watching like, why did he like this movie? And then immediately I saw it and I was like, I see. I see. I understand. And now I too am on board. Anyway. To be fair, Isabella Rossellini looks amazing. She looks absolutely incredible. Like, oh, really incredible. I think I might try to replicate her outfit for Halloween this year. To take a photo for the internet anyway, because I'm not certain how my new neighbors will receive that if I answer the door to hand out candy while wearing it. Anyway, she uh, offers Meryl Streep uh, this like glowing potion that like stands on a little tippy edge like it's the little dice from Inception um, that will like apparently like make her young and beautiful forever and ever. And she has to pay an immense price for it, which we do not see, uh, but apparently is like laughably enormous, but which Meryl Streep readily agrees to once she sees what the potion can do when demonstrated on a cut upon her hand. And she takes the potion and then suddenly like, Everything about her body that gravity has ever affected is like zooped back up and like she has fillers and a filter like but IRL and she looks and feels amazing and she heads back home. Meanwhile, Goldie Hawn has turned up in her absence and seduced Bruce Willis and talked him into murdering Meryl Streep and making it look like Meryl Streep died in a drunk driving accident because Goldie Hawn's entire like driving purpose in life all this time has been to murder Meryl Streep. Unfortunately for Goldie Hawn, this doesn't work out because Bruce Willis is incompetent. And when Meryl Streep comes home, he gets in a fight with her. And then he just goes into like classic spousal abuser and tries to choke her to death. And then like he stops and says he's sorry, even though he's clearly not sorry, because then he he refuses to help her from falling and then pushes her down the stairs where she dramatically breaks several vertebrae and her neck, which is not surprising because in one fall down the stairs, she really fell down the stairs like four times based on that shot. 
really messed up. She's dead. He calls Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn's upset because he didn't stick to the plan, but she shows up to try to help things out. Turns out the potion made Meryl Streep like, like she can't die. So, uh, so she looks young and beautiful forever, but her bod can get like fucked up by trauma, which it is. So, so the potion doesn't, <laughs> does the potion kill you and render you undead or the potion means you'll live forever but if you die, you'll be a zombie forever after that. The I'm latter. thinking the latter is my theory. Yes. Okay. Because Isabella Rossellini did warn her to take care of her body. Mm, um, okay. So I'm, Gosh, I'm thinking- that really yeah. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> to like become immortal and then immediately have to be a zombie immortal. Yeah. Just because of like, some your investment man. is wrecked so quickly because, because of, of Bruce, Bruce Willis. Willis. <laughs> Also, yeah, Meryl Streep uh, performed that stare stunt herself. I want I want you to know that that was she amazing. She insisted on doing it. No, Meryl that's a Street, lie. I'm no, oh, just making up fake that was incredible. trivia now. Because I was like seeing from some of your trivia highlights you were posting, like Meryl Streep apparently did not enjoy doing the visual effects for this movie. So I was like, seriously? Did Meryl Streep like put on like padding under her clothes and perform that fall like four times? She compared it to going to the dentist, it said. She really did not like shooting yeah. this Like, movie. okay, Meryl Streep, you need to have a little bit more respect for stunt people, I will say. Anyhow, so Meryl Streep is late. And they're all dead and Bruce Willis panics and he runs to call Goldie Hawn and he wants like comfort and approval uh, for his fashion of killing Meryl Streep, even though it was did not at all resemble Goldie Hawn's plan for disposing of her. And Goldie Hawn is not impressed. Goldie Hawn's going to come over and help him take care of it. But meanwhile, Meryl Streep is not dead, obviously, because she drank the potion. She pops back up. She scares the shit out of Bruce Willis. He sort of like twists her neck back around, even though it's still super broken. It takes her to the hospital where it is determined that she is dead. And like the doctor who sees her has a heart attack. And that actually is like the sadly funniest part of where Bruce Willis himself in the movie his character is supposed to be a doctor, goes running through the ER yelling, where are all the doctors? Because, you know, like, of course, he wouldn't know how it is to go to an ER. And the doctor who saw Meryl Streep was apparently so traumatized by it that he dies too. Somebody, Meryl Streep faints and they stick her in a morgue, but Bruce Willis busts her out. They go back home. Goldie Hawn turns up to like, you know, help him take care of the problem, not realizing that Meryl Streep is like undead now. Meryl Streep pops up and blows a hole through her with like, I wasn't paying good attention at that point. It kind of looked like a rifle, but apparently it was a shotgun because that was an enormous hole. They think she's dead for a minute. They're going to dispose of her body with the stuff that Goldie Hawn brought to dispose of Meryl Streep's body. But surprise, Goldie Hawn pops back up out of their little decorative fountain. And she's alive too, because she drank the potion from Isabella Rossell years ago. So then Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn have a huge fight where they're like trying to kill each other, but they can't because they're both already dead and they just damage each other some more. And then they kind of have a heart to heart and they realize that, you know, they were just like toxically jealous of each other for silly reasons all these years. Goldie Hawn apparently grew up wealthy and kind of looked down on Meryl Streep for being poor. And Meryl Streep took revenge by 
stealing boyfriends and eventually fiancés from Goldie Hawn. But then they realize that they actually care about each other more than all of that bullshit. And they make it up and they go to find Bruce Willis, who was packing up his dartboard at that point to uh, ask him to, you know, fix him back up and make him look like pretty little corpses. He doesn't want to do it. He wants to get out of there, but they talk him into it and say that he can go afterwards. So he does. They look really beautiful. Then they realize they can't let Bruce Willis go because what's going to happen when they scratch up some of their corpse makeup? So then they come up with a plan to drug him and then force him to take the potion. Shenanigans ensue because he won't drink the drugged drink. Uh, They finally get him to Isabella Rossellini's place. Anyway, how did, oh, because they both bash him in the head with a vase. And he has like a weird, I want to call this a heel turn, even though it's like a non-villain turn at the last second, but it was very sudden. Bruce Willis is the one in this movie who realizes that the prospect of immortal life without immortal health might be horrifying and attempts to escape. And so then there's a bunch of shenanigans while he does that, tries to run out of the place while Isabella Rossellini is having a party for all of her clients who are very beautiful, young and famous people like Andy Warhol and Marilyn Monroe and Elvis, who have all apparently faked their own deaths. Then Bruce Willis falls off the roof and is on a gutter. And our girls try to convince him to drink the potion because that's the only way he'll survive if he falls. But he decides to not drink the potion. He does fall. He falls into a swimming pool and survives and escapes. Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep are upset because they're like, how ridiculous is this? Are we just going to spend our whole immortal lives together, like patching up each other's makeup? And then they realize that, yes, that is what they're going to do, apparently. 37 years later, we are at Bruce Willis's funeral. He apparently like turned his life around and married somebody apparently young enough when he was 50 who could have four children with him and he is uh you know much missed by all the people in this like church that they're in but our girls are sitting in the back again wearing veils and snickering loudly at the service in a fashion that makes me understand why this is a queer cult classic and then they leave and apparently in 37 years they still have not learned very much about doing like practical special effects makeup on their own corpse bodies very unfortunately as they are like bickering like an old married couple on the way back to their car they both fall down the stairs um together because one refuses to help the other from falling and the other pulls her with her and their bodies are in complete pieces on the ground. And then one of them says something like, do you remember where we parked the car? And the film is finished. I'm uh, cashing in on my promise. Do it. Because as we have established, this movie officially is titled Death Becomes Her. A title that does make some sense, like given the subject matter of the movie, the two main actresses, like everything that happens in this movie. However, Bruce Willis, uh, Bruce Willis (laughs) had some very different ideas for the film's (laughs) title, according to IMDb trivia. And believe me, I have been desperately searching for the source interview for this. Bruce Willis suggested two alternate ideas for the title. (laughs) it's death baby (laughs) and my man death (laughs) which sounds like a phrase sadie would say in like a podcast episode that had the grim reaper in it or something sadie would be like oh my man death comes on the screen and does Um, yada yada but yeah remind me to say that exact phrase when we do meet joe black (laughs) 
<laughs> actually, actually, I'll probably do it. Just I don't need to be reminded. I'll do it naturally. <laughs> Sadie, how dare you say that when I literally just took a sip of water? What oh, would my man death even refer to in the context of this movie? I mean, did Bruce Willis really think he was the star of this movie? Did he think it was about his character? <laughs> because, like, what in, when is death a man in this movie? Yeah, there's no... There's, death is not a What is death is not even a... He's the only one who dies. Like, what? <laughs> it's death, baby. And w- it's death, baby, is similarly baffling. Like, why? <laughs> You're just going to take, like, the, the theme of the movie and just say, uh, it's death, baby, you know? Like, I'm trying to think of an equivalent of if Jurassic Park were called, like, it's got dinosaurs, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's like, like, I, like, it's undeath, baby. Like, what's that? I mean, like, I like to think that the actual contents of the movie itself are, like, very integral to the success of the movie. And I do think that that's true. But also... This movie would literally have been tossed aside and forgotten within like five years if the name had been My Man Death or It's Death Baby. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Okay, like, okay. My man death, that sounds like um uh, like a bad action movie that would have been rebooted with Jason Statham within a decade. <laughs> and it's death, baby, sounds like like a teen comedy. Uh, like they could have called Scream It's Death Baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It, yeah. Scream should have been <laughs> called Ghostface Motherfucker Exclamation Point. <laughs> like <laughs> That's what Bruce Willis would have suggested if you were in Scream. The Bruce Willis school of titling movies. Yeah, we should retitle the AFI Top 100 as Bruce Willis. (laughs) Forget the episode. (laughs) Okay, because like Death Becomes Her is actually like a very... uh, That title gives this movie even more, like more quality than it would have had otherwise because it's such a succinct, like pithy little witty phrase that sums up everything that this is about this over the top vanity and fear of aging and worry about losing the power of conventional youthful attractiveness and femininity. And uh, I, I just don't think it's death baby has like would do the same thing. For it's it. death. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just do Citizen Kane. I think Citizen Kane would be it's rosebud or rosebud <laughs> coming through exclamation point i <laughs> semicolon the sled story i will not be shifting to the reality where death becomes her was named it's death baby <laughs> and also have you okay seen so that casablanca on right the It's Wait, Death Baby trend, retitling <laughs> movies as Bruce Willis. I no, hope no, Jen's no. here. I just said shifting, shifting to the reality where It's Death Baby was the name of Death Becomes Her. The like 
how like the Gen Z kids on TikTok are genuinely like they think that they can shift realities and they'll post things and they'll be like, don't shift to this reality. It's really toxic. And everyone will be like, oh my God. Yeah, I shifted there last week. Don't do it. (laughs) And I'm like, um... (laughs) They've like they've taken like the millennial like like Society refusal to blank, accept blank um, that your memory is fallible of what's it called like the the Mandela effect the um, they've like taken that to like even greater heights. <laughs> what is that called? It's where, the Mandela effect where you like misremember effect. something or or where yeah. there's like a persistent cultural false memory. But you can't the, the Berenstein Bears one does get me sometimes, I will say. Fortunately, I remember almost nothing. So I have <laughs> not the Mandela effect, but Samantha is immune. I have the memento effect. I'm not sure I remember anything that happened to me before I was twenty five. I feel like that's like much healthier. Yeah. Just wipe it clean. Just be smooth brained. <laughs> Just well, assume that if the entire world is, I mean, and I realize this goes really counter to the point of most sci-fi movies and books and every franchise ever. But if like you strongly like think you remember something, but the entire world tells you that it was different, it's probably more likely that it's you who was mistaken than everybody else. Yeah. Let's shift realities like- <laughs> to reality. Which there's only one of, and Sadie, I love unfortunately, you. <laughs> and we're all confined in it. Sadie, was it you that had family who's obsessed with Death Becomes Her? Um, I don't think. Well, my parents hate it, but that's all I have to offer. Oh, Jen? T- t- why? Um, ha- well, tiny, tiny Justin, my husband loved it. Yeah, I'm. That's probably it. I mean, my parent, my so this first. is one of those situations where like my mom hates it so much that she hates it for the both of them. And my so my dad hasn't seen it since 1992. Mm. I was over to uh, I was over <laughs> visiting my parents on Sunday, and I was like, "Oh, I I have to watch Death Becomes Her for the podcast. Do you want to watch it with me?" And my mom was like, "Absolutely not. If you need to watch that, you can leave." <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, "Damn, Sadie's mom!" And she was like, "And she was like, but we can watch Corpse Bride." And so we just watched that. Um, Fair. (laughs) But I don't know why my mom hates that movie so much. I genuinely have no clue. Well, Um, I've got some guesses. um, Because I really dislike it in the first half. Like, they they got me, you know? But then I come around to seeing why it's such an LGBTQ classic by the finish. Sadie, is your mom Meryl Streep? Well, cat's out of the bag. (laughs) (laughs) I do wonder if, uh, like, uh, the generation who was the peak movie-going audience of 1992 wasn't primed to understand, like, camp in the same way. 
I like my one of the trivia bits I ran across on IMDb. <laughs> yeah. So that was it. like I love sometimes looking at um Siskel and Ebert's reviews of things that have gone on to become like queer cult classics. And Ebert was like, it lacked character depth or something. And it's like, <laughs> this is not fucking Hamlet. This is like you put some broad archetypes, the wilting flower, the like hapless idiot husband you know like the the jealous best friend and we have fun and ebert was like if they didn't you know probe the depths of uh the human soul (laughs) and death becomes her okay so samantha i think that it must have been justin's family who loves this and i think uh, and i am completely we can like fact check this later because this is just me like galaxy brain trying to uh, reconnect the timeline of what must have happened and how he was introduced to this because i don't really see his mom loving this movie either maybe but i she doesn't really like women being catty to women you know i am thinking that this is Justin's fabulous gay uncles he must have watched this movie with because they are obsessed with this type of like fabulous diva bitches, high camp ridiculousness. And oh, I think my gay uncle also really likes this movie actually now that I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think that once like very seven year old Justin was introduced to Isabella Rossellini, that he was just sold, you know? So when I was watching this for the purpose of this podcast today, like I had to pause it and wait till he left because he was hanging around and getting so like like self-conscious about like, oh no, this movie, this sucks so much at the beginning. This is so offensive and horrible. Everybody's going to hate me for liking this movie as a kid. And I was like, baby, just please run along and let me judge the movie. I am not judging you. And then you see the shit that goes down. When Meryl Streep tries to throw that like broken shovel stake through Goldie Hawn and it just goes straight through the hole she'd already blown through her with a shotgun and like they're looking fabulous at the same time. Like, yeah, his uncle would be all the way there for that. I'm thinking that that must have been how he was first exposed to this movie. It's fantastic. I was reading a bit about the queer cult following and I think there's like a drag following as well. And It's all about the themes of like, you know, beauty and aging and artifice. And uh, there's there's a lot of queer stuff going on here. That funeral at the end where Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn are at the back of the funeral, that was the drag queeniest shit like I think I've ever seen two cis women do ever. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so sad that they can't just live forever. Right. Well, I mean... They must have, right? Like, I mean, they were still alive. Couldn't they just crawl their little body parts back together and somehow awkwardly get them in the car? Well, they were, they, their heads, are their heads just going to be alive until people leave the funeral? And um, also, did you know that that's, uh, (laughs) someone calculated it out? That's the year 2029. We're still, um, (laughs) we're not even there. We're still eight years away from the end of Death Becomes Her. And then we can all go on Twitter or whatever is replaced Twitter at that point and be like, this is the only year you can post this or whatever. No, I'm thinking even farther than that, Samantha. In 2029, the three of us can find and attend this fucking funeral for Bruce Willis with hair. (gasps) 
I wait. What if like, Bruce Willis life, dies Bruce Willis? in twenty twenty nine? That's let's quite switch possible. to this reality. How old let's is jump Bruce over. Let's shift to the reality where Bruce Willis <laughs> dies in twenty twenty nine. We're let's in the manifest. reality where he dies in twenty twenty nine. We need to notify his family. <laughs> I, so okay, do you guys? like this movie tell me more about it well to spoil my rating i'd go like i'd go like three out of five it's clear robert zemeckis who loves playing around with visual effects was kind of just having a lot of fun with what he could do with i believe the first like cgi to involve like human skin and faces um so like you know i there's some of that that's just like, okay, you're having fun in your little sandbox. And I agree with Jen that it ends a lot more, um, uh, uh, it ends a lot more compellingly than it begins. To me, mm-hmm. it's just like a quarter turn away from being great in so many places. Like, I think Bruce Willis is a miscast. I think the first half could be tightened up. The movie was like extensively edited. Like, a li- originally, a- Isabella Rossellini was going to play Cleopatra, which was why the potions oh, were all Egyptian on the themed. Yeah. yeah. And it just felt like yeah, it didn't there was maybe some sense. studio intervention in the back end in ways where I kind of would have liked some of the wackier stuff they had planned. Yeah, Sadie, to just piggyback off of everything Samantha just said, I, yeah, I'm, I'm probably, I'm like a three of five-ish rating right now in my mind too, or even two and a half. Like it's so, this movie is a major mixed bag because you have two absolutely phenomenal actors in Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn, um, who actually, it's super weird to see Meryl Streep in a part like this. And I guess because I was like, six or seven years old when this came out and, uh, you know, have never seen her in a part like this since. So (laughs) it seems weird, but you've got like, they really are so good though and sell it in a way that Bruce Willis just does and cannot. And it, the movie sets itself up for me with a big hurdle to climb over because the beginning is so unpleasant, Um, especially that stuff that I guess that that was pretty par for the course in 1992 like the extreme disgusting fat phobia she's eating cake frosting from a jar or something is just like (laughs) pretty terrible that was kind of like yeah that was so off-putting that it made me not it you know i i really i I probably would have just turned the movie off if i was watching it on my own and not you know didn't need to watch it to discuss it with you guys at that point um, but it really does pick up once everybody, you know, starts drinking the potion and, and dying and fighting with each other. Um, and then <laughs> I would really like to see the movie of the 37 years that these two like diva bitch wives spend together having to like literally spackle each other's asses back on. I would love to see that movie. Yeah. Let's make a Grace and Frankie about that. <laughs> Sadie, where did you, where do you land on Death Becomes Her? I enjoyed it. I would, again, I would agree with everything that you've both said. I don't think that it's my favorite. And also the CGI, I understand that he was having a lot of fun with it, but also at the end of the day, it's so distractingly bad 
now with our 2021 <laughs> eyes. It's so 1992. Yeah, that it was just kind of like really painful to watch. I was just like, like the part where she has her head on backwards, I was waiting. Like I couldn't really pay attention to what was happening because I was so focused on like, when is she going to look normal so that I can be at peace again? Um <laughs> And so for that, but also in regards to the terrible fat phobia, um, you know, I think that taking this movie as like a satire, the fat phobia, like weirdly enough, I feel like this bothers me less than like the 2005 Just Friends Ryan Reynolds in a fat suit. This, because this is just like terrible people and like kind of making a satire over the whole obsession with your looks that doesn't land, obviously, but it's still fascinating to me. I don't know. I didn't get that, like, like I still hated it, but I didn't get that just like, ugh, like, oh, this is like insulting. I was just like, Yeah, this is this is uh, certainly I kind of I. What do you I think? I sort about of that? see that too, Sadie, because it's like now now that you have explained it that way to me, like because it's not showing just like a fat person living their life and trying to be like, ooh, they're disgusting just because they're fat. But like, it's this over the top, super tropey, her apartment is weirdly filled with cats. And she's just like, literally slathering cake frosting all over her face. while like the police are trying to break down her door to evict her. It, like, yeah, it's, it's clearly like meant to be like super over the top and ridiculous. But yeah, and I mean, it's it still is very disturbing to watch. It's definitely <laughs> the worst part of this movie. And like, not great. Um, but also, it's just it's it's such a fascinating look at like uh, I don't know I was trying to articulate my thoughts about this movie and the points that it was trying to make towards like our society's obsession with like looking perfect and like all this stuff and you see that or it's implied right that when Goldie Hawn takes the potion she loses all the weight she gets the perfect hair. And I think that is unfortunately so apt to our modern society with how like all celebrities basically get the same face now. It's like there's one surgeon who just does all of the celebrities now. And so Khloe Kardashian looks the same as Kim Kardashian, looks the same as um, Callie Osborne looks the same as Renee Zellweger, etc, etc. Do you know what I'm saying? Sadie, I do know what you're saying. And you've I, I was thinking while watching this, because of our recent, unfortunate, semi unfortunate, because you, uh, Sadie and I kind of liked it, Samantha was horrified, uh, foray into the the she's all that he's all that update. <laughs> yeah, they need to make a remake of this movie. And while they're hot right now, have Courtney Kardashian and Megan Fox play the women. Yes. I do not want to give Courtney Kardashian more acting roles. <laughs> Personally. <laughs> but Samantha, I would love to see her like huck a spear through the middle of Megan Fox's torso that 
doesn't exist because she already blew it away with a shotgun. Like we already know Megan Fox would make a great <laughs> undead uh, actress. Um, I personally would like to give acting roles <laughs> to actors. <laughs> Call me crazy. <laughs> okay, Samantha, Samantha, who are you casting in the remake? Well, I mean, Megan Fox isn't quite old enough yet to play the Meryl Streep character that's true she's like my age or like a year older than me i think in 2029 Um, can she i mean part of this too is with the way that beauty standards are changing it's like now not only do you have to look forever young if you're 70 you also have to look 25 you know it's like you can't just Just look 10 years younger than you are you have to like forever be hermetically sealed in uh in your mid twenties, so wait a second. Okay, I took I I busted up my little calculator, and please feel free to write us and tell me quite kindly and gently if I calculated this incorrectly. Uh, once we give you our contact information at the end of the episode, dear listeners. But according to my investigations, when this movie came out, Meryl Streep would have been forty three, and Goldie Hawn would have been forty eight. Which I actually, Mm. that kind of blew my mind because it sort of, I mean, it makes more sense given the way you would be treated in Hollywood, you know, uh, particularly um, given this storyline. But I I mean, I was kind of like assuming that they were going to be like 35 (laughs) watching this. That's about the level of fine lines that are on Meryl Streep's face in this movie when she is her quote unquote old self. Yeah. Jen, I I think that they should. (laughs) I think (laughs) that they should have just remake the movie, all the original actors, and use the Irishman digital de-aging technology that Martin Scorsese himself invented (laughs) in a laboratory. Holy shit. To create it. What's Robert Zemeckis doing now? I think he's, is he dead? Has he died? Do we need to bring Scorsese in for the remake? The Polar Express, which also is a horrifying movie that I hate to my core because of how bad the CGI is, in my opinion. Like He's 70 years old. He's one year younger than Isabella Rossellini and Death Becomes Her. And younger than both. Goldie Hawn is the oldest of those four people. So he's still alive. He's still around. I'm not. um, We could do it. Yeah. I think that actually, okay, that would be amazing. But they really should just go ahead and make a full drag queen version of this movie would probably be like the ultimate that it could ascend to. I'm surprised that there hasn't been an all drag production of Death Becomes Her. Has there been a Death Becomes Her episode of RuPaul's Drag Race? A totally normal show name that I can say smoothly and fluidly (laughs) because I do freelance editing for a queer news site. I feel like you got possessed. The number by of someone. articles I have <laughs> in that I don't know who, the but number of <laughs> the number of articles Sadie, I've she edited was trying about to that adjust show. her head where it got turned around backwards. It's no big thing. <laughs> I have seen exactly one episode of Drag Race, and I have edited probably four thousand articles about Drag Race. So I was obsessed the with the first two seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race. 
back when Drag Race was like the jankiest little thing, Nina Flowers, I follow on all social media platforms to this day because I feel like she was robbed because RuPaul just liked saying Cameroon um, in the first season. And then I watched the second season and loved it. And then I watched the third season and I was starting to get a little bit over it. And then for some reason, it got like way harder to watch with my cable and I needed to seek it out. And so I just did it. But I've got to say, Eureka O'Hara is from my town prior to moving to Arizona. And I love and support her for that reason alone. Not only, you know, that she's amazing, but also... She's amazing at New Beginnings, which Samantha has visited with me. So I wish her the best all the time. Excellent. And those are my thoughts on RuPaul's Drag Race. So I was reading about Meryl Streep, and she said that she would never do another visual effects-based film after this. And I'm wondering if, given changing tides in Hollywood, if she's had to buckle on that yet. Mm. Oh, damn. Where's her IMDb? Somebody pull it up right now. I'm sure there is a ton of fakery in Mamma Mia. I'm sure a lot of, I don't know. Did they do that all practically? She's already had to have digital de-aging in that Mamma Mia movie where she was like, that was about her character's life, right? Didn't she die at some point? Like her character in Mamma Mia? I think I've never seen any of the Mamma Mias, so. Really? And she was that in a series so of unfortunate out events. Of character for you. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, I love Pierce Brosnan. So uh. she also did the voice in AI artificial intelligence. Meryl Streep, <laughs> you couldn't escape Meryl visual Streep. effects work forever. Your hypocrisy. <laughs> Oh, my God. I'm looking at Meryl Streep's... Uh, Sadie. What, what, what? Oh, uh, no. First, tell me what you're you're seeing on Meryl Streep's whatever you're looking at. Well, first of all, I'm trying to fucking get to it because I hate when people have so many <laughs> accolades and, and acting things that they have their... It has its own, like, separate Wikipedia page. And there's, like, a different subset for, like, each different type of media. Anyway, I mean, get over yourself. Yeah. Um, Seriously. There's no way. Be less successful, asshole. That there wasn't any I mean that, digital by the way, manipulation perfectly. in the prom. That terrible queer movie that I did not watch. Oh, my God. <laughs> I This is completely unrelated. But do you, did either of you see the movie Florence Foster Jenkins? Because I saw that movie at an art house theater in Columbia at midnight with my mom for some reason. And let me tell you, it stars Meryl Streep as an aging uh, New York heiress who is shitty at singing. Her husband, uh, wait, I think her husband plays played by Hugh Grant. And also one of the main characters is, um, what's his name? Howard from Big Bang Theory. And it was the slowest movie I've ever seen (laughs) in my life. It was like two hours long. And yet my mom and I went to see it because (laughs) and seeing it at midnight i was literally like 10 minutes in i was like i gotta tap out and i just like nodded off (laughs) so that's what happens when you don't when you try to avoid cgi what wait 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 
I would like to say, one, I absolutely adore when our moms come into this podcast <laughs> because Sadie, your mom just becomes more of a mystery with every new bit of information we learn about her. And two, I adore that apparently what Meryl Streep feels like is a compelling experience on a film set, like literally put Sadie to sleep. Whereas we were all entertained by what Meryl Streep felt like was going to the dentist. Sadie, what uh, what is the name of uh, Meryl Streep's character in Florence Foster Jenkins? I'm so glad you asked. It's the titular role. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clearing How that Madeline up. How Madeline Ashton of her. <laughs> You're <laughs> What? 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 Was I supposed to say something different? FFJ. No, I was just being silly. No, no, we're we're not laughing at you. We're laughing at Samantha. That's the Meryl Streep of it all. We're talking about FFJ. (laughs) (laughs) My girl Florence Foster. (laughs) Oh my god! It's Lyndon B. Johnson and Florence Foster Jenkins. Dear Lord, and JFK. Those are the only three people. JFK, KFC. Wait a second. Oh, no, there's more than that. (laughs) LBJ. (laughs) Why do, do, I mean, we have to remember LBJ because of like the war crime stuff or whatever. But do we have to? Sadie, speaking who's of a, KFC, the fa- who's a three neighbor who's famous? <laughs> the now? fast food world is doing the equivalent of everybody getting the same Instagram face because I've been getting spammed with KFC chicken sandwich ads, and it looks like every other damn chicken sandwich that's come oh, out God. in the last three years. They're just like Did chicken breast, you? two pickles, orange looking sauce. <laughs> Have we talked about this? Did either of you see the um, KFC? movie where Mario Lopez plays uh, the colonel. I think we talked about the news, but you actually watched it, right? I did. I did watch it. Wow, I have not. And my eyes are so wide in anticipation to hear. <laughs> well, it was a nice, clean, tight 30 minutes long. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> There's, and is that the best that can be said of yes. it? <laughs> and that's about it. There's murder. There's mayhem. Mario Lopez is supposed to be hot, I guess. And he has a secret recipe, like a little secret recipe card. Um, and I actually paused the movie when you get a brief glimpse at the recipe card. And I get up, I got up and I was like looking like at my TV, like a dad, you know, where they stand in front of the, t- the TV <laughs> like trying to read what's on the screen. And um, it's literally like, it's, I want to talk to like the intern that had to write that because it it was like 11 spices, question mark, question mark, circled, highlighted, pepper, question mark, salt, exclamation point. What else? Question mark. <laughs> um, that's Takes a real detective track, to figure but- out that there's salt <laughs> in KFC. <laughs> But I feel like this is the the off track time to discuss. Oh wait, wait! You're, you're going to wrap up about the wait. What what are we? Are we still talking about the KFC well, movie was, with Mario Lopez? No, oh, yeah, I was going to ask if salt is a spice or a mineral. <laughs> <laughs> 
Salt is a it's mineral. Both. Salt is not it's a spice. Both? Salt is a seasoning. <laughs> salt is a necessity. So could Your it, body needs salt. So weirdly. in the 11 herbs and spices, it, it, it counts as one of them? Or is it like not included because it's more of a mineral it's got it's so like you have to have salt what the fuck are you gonna make without some salt in it sadie according to parade.com salt is neither an herb nor a spice but rather a mineral but minerals can be seasonings so let's elevate it from mineral and call it a seasoning I feel like that's giving really bland white people too much respect samantha salt is great Salt is one of the four words in the title of the cookbook. Salt is salt, a foundation. Fat, acid, heat. Well, I mean, I I would agree that it is a necessity in life, but hmm. Yes, but it it should not be your only seasoning. I agree with you, Jen. One thing I learned from salt, fat, acid, heat, though, is that like is. Uh, how important it is to salt at every stage of cooking something and that like no matter how much salt you use in home cooking it's never ever gonna like come close to comparing to like what restaurants do with salt so like most people in home cooking actually like dramatically undersalt their food me just here nodding wisely in having grown up in the American South, in spite of the fact that I tried to avoid knowing anything about how to cook anything for like basically my entire life. Yeah. Well, shall we pivot away from salt (laughs) to death becomes her other guys? Should do we do we just want that the two undead ladies to choose each other? Or do we think that Ernest should have ended up with one of them? Ernest is such a fucking prat. Nobody wants Ernest. That ridiculousness at his funeral and how great he got later in life is still unearned bullshit about some man who clearly like captivated some woman who was way too young for him and like fostered his like, you know, like children upon her and he sucks. He's yeah, terrible. like let's recap. He 100% anti-earnest. He he starts out by dating Goldie Hawn, immediately becomes like just like like basically orgasms in the audience upon seeing Meryl Streep's character, meets her, and then when Goldie Hawn is like scared and insecure about him leaving her, he's like Honey, I would never. And then in what I have to assume is like less than six months later, he's now married to Meryl Streep, has completely dumped Goldie Hawn. And then fast forward 12 years later, and he's all like, poor me, you forced me to become a mortician, which like, first of all, no one forced you to become a mortician. Literally, you could have opted out of all of this at literally any point. And then Goldie Hawn comes back into the picture. And oh, my God, now she's hot. And he's like, Oh, wow, actually, I love you. And then she's like, you should kill her because she's been annoying to you. And he's like, yeah, you're right. I've been abused. I should, <laughs> I should kill her. And then he strangles her. Right. <laughs> and then when she's like, Hey, help me up. Then he's like, Hey. And then he like pushes her. And we in the, as the audience are kind of supposed to be like, ha ha. Yeah. She got what she deserves. I can't believe that she would dare to call him an idiot 
while he's trying to kill her. That just proves that she's a bitch. And it's like, no, that proves that he's fucking insane. Um, And anyway, I hated him so much. And I also hated the way that they kind of treated his character, despite all of the terrible shit that he did. Um. So yeah, I think that they should have ended up together, Ugh. which I guess they the, kind he of he gets to but. be the enlightened one. Ooh, Sadie, it is burning me up yeah. that he gets to have the hero turn at the end. I'm so mad about it. He gave Hans Gruber in Die Hard way more respect than Meryl Streep on those stairs. I do. I think the only Bruce Willis shipping in this movie that I could do is I do like the idea of Isabella Rossellini, like forcibly immortalizing him and keeping him as like a pet. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that, okay, I could have get down with that. But not like a preferred pet, like her um, vertical striped velvet leggings, uh, gold belt wearing boys who answer the door. Yeah, but like, like a pet that you're like, oh, okay, I guess you can come out every now and again, Bruce Willis, then that's all right. Yeah, she, she can keep him around to do like plastic surgery on people or like, upkeep on any of her clients who have unfortunately died in skiing accidents or something. Yeah. The Fabios do need to get a little bit better at um, catching runaways. I realize this is probably not a situation they have had to face often before. Um, Even the dogs were confused by it. But I mean, come on. If you're letting mustachioed Bruce Willis with hair run out on you, you really need to run a few more drills or whatever. May I point out yet another movie following Lost Boys that ends with a a uh, kind of privileging of the heteronuclear family form of, you know, look, he lived a mortal life. He didn't do anything crazy like become a vampire and he had kids and then he died. <laughs> Now he's redeemed. Now now he lives forever through his children. I swear, I rarely like talking about queer theory from grad school, but it's one of those moments where I come back all the time to um, this book called No Future by a queer theorist named Lee Edelman that essentially talked about how like um, the figure of the child is like the uh, like the concretization of of 20th century heteronormativity that it's all just about like the children i believe the children are our future children 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 and that like heteronormativity takes the guise of like we got to make the kids um maybe an obvious point but he he articulates it really uh, compellingly and i feel like the very the very beautiful continuation of of that everything that samantha just said and i do not have a doctorate or even a graduate degree in gender studies but just as a layperson observer is that people who buy into that theory and then have children beautifully create, as Samantha also discussed in her book, Real Queer America, queer children 
who gloriously pop up like stunning little flowers everywhere, even in the most conservative areas. And though this is horrible for them to be born to parents like that, like, (laughs) bitch, please, you think you're going to live on through your children? You are going to have the most fab little queer children who are going to live on for themselves. And they are not going to like try to continue your own weird stunted ass legacy that you have imagined for yourself. Yeah, that's the glitch in the matrix. You try to you try to have a kid. You try to live through ever for, <laughs> through a kid. You'll get a gay kid. I love when people's kids come out. I am so happy. To watch dreams of you know your kid becoming you uh, like shatter in real time as you realize as someone realizes their kid will like, have a drastically I different want life trajectory. My kid to be me, but uh, like more successful. At manliness. He's going to be a real football hero. By the way, you have a daughter. Oh, speaking of queer kids, Jamie Lee Curtis and her trans daughter Ruby gave their first (gasps) joint interview to People Magazine coming to newsstand soon. People pay us, but um, that... That, and she's a gamer. That warms my heart so much. She's a, a gamer. gamer. <laughs> <laughs> she does video editing for a YouTube gaming personality. So maybe she's never touched a video game in her life, and she just um, uh, knows she how to went use Final as Cut. One of the Undertale characters for Halloween. Did you see that one photo? Uh, I was like, no. um, enhance. I know who this is immediately. <laughs> I was like, thank you, people, for these people-exclusive photos. Um, I always wonder how those things come about, the celebrity. Th- you, you probably know that better than I do, Jen, where you're like, we want to tell our family story, but we want to make it exclusive. That's all. Um, all uh, okay, so... Again, laypersons. I saw some like tweet recently about how like an expert is somebody who knows enough to know how inexpert they are at something all the time. Like tries to uh, an expert is somebody who tries to become less wrong about their subject. And in that way, I feel like an expert of celebrity gossip. So with that caveat, uh. Yeah, no, People Magazine is the place that you you only get into there through your your big publicists and um, agencies and managers. That is like a super celebrity friendly publication. Um, They want to keep access to all of their clients' clients all the time. And it's a super like family publication. That is People Magazine is how I got into celebrity gossip as a 12 year old. It came to my house weekly and it told me about the celebrities. And oh, you know, I got pretty quickly. I read the People homepage three days a week every morning um, uh, as part of my editing job to look for queer celeb news. And it's always funny because, like you said, they seem to just play all sides of the aisle. You know, it'll be like Jamie Lee Curtis celebrates her. (laughs) trans daughter and then it'll be like Megan McCain's healthy green smoothie routine or you know it's like that's that's people Samantha you've got it through that that was like the best description that like I couldn't even articulate right now that they're definitely playing both sides of the aisle there people is always going to give the cushy nice uh thinking about how this movie was you know kind of the vaseline tinted look at whatever celebrity that they're looking at you know it's always a very approved by multiple people thing 
Which is always kind of nice when you see people reporting on um, anybody's queerness or queer family because they're getting that treatment, you know? It would be nice if they we were to the point societally where Meghan McCain is not getting the same treatment. But given how things were five years ago and then five years before that, we will definitely take like a very sunny profile about Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter. Yeah, that that was great. I wish I could erase every other piece of news that's happened in the last two weeks in the culture and entertainment space and just have that one article printed in my memory, the otherwise inky blackness of my mind, and then just the people exclusive photo there, like the monolith just from 2001. Just let it go, Samantha. Just, um, just make a wrinkle in that smooth beautiful egg brain of yours just for that article and then just let the rest just roll away. Just fold up that article, put it in that one brain wrinkle. Ah, that'd be great. Just think think of like your cat Nala and how she takes in information and especially of how your future cat Spuds will probably take in information and just copy it. Would I, you like to talk like about their spuds? I feel like briefly? it'd be overwhelming to be a cat. Can uh, this be a spot? Next moment? time you hear this podcast, I'll have a, a hairless cat named Spuds uh, to accompany my hairless cat, Nala. Previous listeners will know uh, that I used to have a hairless cat, Zuma, and I don't think I've ever disclosed on the podcast before that she passed away and ha- unfortunately had congenital defects that contributed to that. But we are getting spuds. Her head looks like a moldy potato, and she looks dumb it as hell. Indeed. And that's exactly what I want. <laughs> oh. Zuma was tragically the most intelligent cat to ever live um, on this cursed, blasted planet. And we all love her and we'll remember her forever. And Spuds, I think, will just cure us all of all ailments by just being too stupid to comprehend them. Spuds has Uh. a little fingerling (laughs) potato inside her noggin. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) Sadie, what's your impression of what it would be like to perceive the world as a cat? I kind of feel like it would be terrifying, minus the sleeping. Yeah, I think... I think I would be... I'm imagining Harriet. I think Harriet, she can contain it, but at her core, she's angry all the time. And... (laughs) She's angry all the time. She's always both very scared by what's happening, but also very ready to kill something all the time and will be very scared by noise. But also when a car honks, she blasts to the window and smashes her little furry body up against the glass because she's ready to fucking throw down. Um, And also I would want to scream because I don't understand the concept of why screaming is bad if I'm a cat. And so I would just sit there on the highest perch where a human couldn't get me and I would just open my little maw and scream. (laughs) (laughs) Just let her rip. I feel like cats have such itchy little brains, you know, like when they want to do something like their brain is just like, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, (laughs) and they are just like going insane until they can like (laughs) get the thing that they want to hit or like scratch the thing that they want to (laughs) scratch. It just feels like a terrible state to exist in. And do you think that cats- I feel like I am a house cat. (laughs) 
on the inside like who got transformed into a person somehow but that's why i have to take care of dogs to balance it out because if no one made me leave the house besides to like scream at passing motor vehicles like sadie just said like i would get oh that's the danger when Corey leaves town for work um and it's just me and the cat, like, I won't leave the apartment for, like, four consecutive days. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, and it feels amazing at first, but then you start feeling weird. But then, like, the paranoia starts to hit in, and then the fear of going outside hits. And then you're like, oh, no. I low-key may have become agoraphobic (laughs) over the pandemic. Not in a way where I don't like nature, open spaces, but I I really don't like to leave anymore. Yeah. God, Justin was just saying, was that yesterday or was that just this morning? That he feels like he's like, uh, he has whatever the ailment of, um, uh, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory's grandpa, that like the paralyzation of getting out of bed is just too much. (laughs) But then once he gets up for that golden ticket, then he's okay and he can function. But getting out of bed is like, I'm fine. I can hop right out of bed, but like leaving my own house and potentially having to interact with other human beings, Jesus yeah. Christ. Ugh. Having to get up no, thank at you. like 8.30 every morning for my work, which starts at nine. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to freeze to death. And I shiver and I shake and I just, I wrap up in a little robe. And, <laughs> and, and but then on like Saturday, me at 6am, I'm like, let's fucking go. <laughs> I'm ready to take a four-hour day trip just to go to Trader (laughs) Joe's. I'm like up at the crack of dawn. Let's go to the fucking city museum, Sadie, on a Saturday. (laughs) I get up in like 50-degree weather because now it's that time of year where we refuse to turn on the heat, but also it gets down to the 40s um, at night. And so I, I, me on a Saturday, I wake up in like my booty short pajamas in like 50 degree weather. And I'm like, all right, let's go. <laughs> and then on the weekday, I'm like covered in like 20 layers of sweatpants and blankets. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm surely going to perish. I feel like when we finally get together all in the same location to do our fabled, you know, long anticipated, who knows wh- when it will happen like live podcast session of the three of us that all of our um, various, you know, uh, little weaknesses and strengths will somehow puzzle piece together (laughs) that we will either all leap up and make the greatest podcast of all time, or we will all just enable each other ridiculously into the most uh, absolutely ludicrous avoidance situation possible and we just won't make a podcast <laughs> i'm not sh- <laughs> when we're in the same physical i'm not place. sure it will be possible for us to talk about a movie in in person <laughs> i don't know <laughs> my instinct to derail which is already strong in person would just be really amplified i would be I just- getting us to talk about starbucks every chance i could <laughs> i just talked about <laughs> Colonel Sanders and if salt is a spice for like 20 minutes a few minutes ago. And to quote Sadie, this is all boldly assuming that you guys will even make it through the experience of watching a movie with me 
like literally screaming every th- three minutes through the movie and like talking about whatever that just happened on screen reminds me of something. Speaking of spice, so <laughs> before we rate, I do want to ask you both a question. What do you think the spice in Dune tastes like? <laughs> they all say it smells like cinnamon. But I think it tastes like straight up what comes out of the Shin Ramen package. I always pictured paprika, but like a kind of a sweet, musky paprika. I don't know. I I think it's like pumpkin pie spice, you know? Like it's like a kind of a, like it, it it's good in other things, but you wouldn't want to eat a spoonful of it yourself. Or maybe a. You cumin? think an entire galaxy is tr- is trading on pumpkin pie spice? Yeah, it's possible. Samantha, it's for the other effects, like not the flavor. Come I mean, on. Starbucks has kind of proved how nutso people Wait, go for pumpkin pie spice. So that's what I'm I saying. Are that. we going to cover? I our- take back my incredulity. <laughs> Wait, Thank so you. this implies, Samantha, are we covering Dune on this podcast? Oh, God. Summarizing it would take the rest of our natural lives. <laughs> Doesn't it cover like five million right. years of elapsed time or something? Well, yeah, but I mean, okay, but the first movie only covers like a relatively small amount of time. We don't have to get into all the honored majors and their leotards and Duncan Idaho like version six million optimized, like accidentally getting sexually addicted to Marbella in Chapter House because that was my favorite part. But that takes like six books to get there. I've read many of the books and then they are all ejected from my memory because it happened in high school and my memory is wiped. You know, Jen, I've never watched a Timothy Chalamet movie and I don't think I want to start now. You haven't you seen know, Little Samantha, Woman? I haven't either, but I think this is going to be my no. first. You Nor have, have I seen Call Me either. By Your Name. <laughs> I th- I have a conspiracy Call theory that Timothy Chalamet name. is not real. It was made up by the Gen Z and it's just photoshopped and all these things boat. I see on Twitter. You have never seen Little Women? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I, I, and, uh, Sadie, I love Little I I read Little Women so many times as a kid, the book. Barely have seen any of the Little Woman movie adaptations because damn. like I was like, no, I will not allow you to pervert this in my mind. I so Here's a quick story time for you both. On Christmas Day, 2019, Elliot and I wanted to go see Little Women at our local art house theater. So I dig out my my favorite Little Women hat, which just looks like a hat that they would wear in Little Women. And I had a little shawl, and I was like, "I'm I'm stunned. I'm going. Thank you for clarifying. I'm showing up. I'm showing up. Very curious. Perfect." And so I get to the theater before Elliot and I walk in and they're like, I, we were there like an hour early and they were like, nope, sold out. And I was like, oh man. And so I walk back outside (laughs) and I just am sitting on the curb in my little women hat waiting for Elliot to come pick me up. And then I get in the car and I'm like, they're sold out of tickets. And so then we try to find any movie that's showing because we like to watch a movie on Christmas. And the only thing that's showing is Frozen 2. And so in my little women outfit, I went and saw Frozen 2. 
surrounded by snotty little children. And then the next day, we saw Little Women. Sadie, I have um, a confession of my own to make in response to this story. Yes. <clears throat> and that is that Elliot in my mind, like, I have seen photos of him. Is you know, Timothy Chalamet? But Elliot is Timothy Chalamet wearing glasses. That's it. And that makes his aversion to going into Target make so much more sense to me also. <laughs> like, that's Elliot. He's just Timothy Chalamet in a pair of glasses. Like the real life Timothy Chalamet. Not just saying that he looks like Timothy Chalamet. Sadie lives with Timothy yeah. Chalamet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Confirmed. Sadie, we take your silence as confirmation. I furiously you probably signed an NDA in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's been outed. <laughs> yeah, he has to find a new safe house to hide to hide from. I don't know. Damn. Is he do do women like him? Do gay men like him? All of the above. Everybody, I guess. That's the rumor, right? Wasn't Elliot um, the nay Timothy Chalamet supposed to have started like a chlamydia outbreak at NYU? Wait, what? <laughs> Elliot, yeah. that was irresponsible. Yeah. <laughs> He single-handedly gave uh. chlamydia to like everyone <laughs> in in um in my you. You know, Sadie, about little women, I'll give it this. Florence Pugh, now that's a little woman. Now that's a little woman. You say that because you love Midsummer so much. <laughs> she could just jump right into your pocket and go for a ride like a kangaroo baby, you know? You know, I am really I mean, if if she and Zach Braff of Garden State do not stay together forever and ever and oh, ever. Oh, God. Don't remind me. I, <laughs> I am very excited to see what Florence Pugh does next with her romantic situation. If slash when that is. I think I that Florence Pugh should date Sir Sharona flat. <laughs> There we go. She needs to date someone <laughs> taller and brunette, and then they can recreate that Twitter meme of the like tall girl holding the short girl up to the wall, oh. and they would the internet would melt. All the servers would just like combust yeah, into dust. Twitter would be down for like a solid week. It would. Who would? Who would give it that kind of power? Florence Pugh and insert tall actress here. <laughs> we need a tall, powerful actress. So, see, this is what is bullshit that we're getting. And no shade to her because she was amazing. But the gal with the thousand-year-old eyes um, from uh, the Kristen Plaza? Stewart holiday movie we watched on Christmas. Mackenzie Davis, right? No, no. Oh, Audrey Plaza has the thousand-year-old oh, yes. eyes. The one with the new baby eyes. That's who I'm thinking of. The Terminator. Mackenzie Davis. When that's what they're giving us for that role, Hollywood is really failing us. Like, we need a tall, strong woman. And not saying that, like, Mackenzie Davis is not strong because I'm sure that she could absolutely kick my ass. But like saying that we need like a the female equivalent of The Rock, but sexy. How tall is Florence Pugh? Oh, five Jen, how do you feel about Elizabeth okay. DeBecky while we look up Florence Pugh's height? I was, she was uh, Elizabeth DeBecky's height is glorious. But she's blonde. She's so femme though. I feel like Laura Prepon yeah. is 5'10 and showing up on a list of actresses who are Again. surprisingly incredibly tall. 
510 is not incredible. <gasps> what about Zendaya? Both, um, Laura Prepon and Elizabeth Debicki are relatively tall women who are not butch enough. Both Laura Prepon and Elizabeth Debicki are the one who is getting held up against the wall, even though they're super tall. You Zendaya know? is 5'10". Zendaya! Lucy Lawless is 5'10". Now there's an image. Lucy Lawless could do it, but she's, uh, you know, I don't want to say she's she's a little old for Florence Pugh, considering what oh. Florence Pugh is doing with her oh, own situation. I got right it. Um, <laughs> what is but, it? Laura okay. Dern <laughs> is 5'10". Laura Dern is 5'10". Oh, if you want to break the internet, you've got to get to the gay people, and the gay people love now, Laura Dern. that would be a combo. If Laura Dern did it, remember when, I mean, okay, this is like, we, we, but we're, well, I don't know if either of you remember this, because I don't think either of you were as obsessed with the original um, post-season one, pre-season six run of The L Word as I was in the mid 2000s. But when Kelly Lynch showed up as a drag king who it, well, she was just a, the L word was super strange about it it just refused to acknowledge that trans people existed then. So it tried to front like this Kelly Lynch who was playing a very obvious trans man was just a drag king who got really upset about being feminized. It was it was bad times in like 2005. Um but yeah, Laura Dern, like, wearing a tank top and holding Florence Pugh up against a wall. I could, I All would that like was to, to say it. that I just I really like think that would it. do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little facial scruff going on. Mm, even without, I mean, whatever. Laura Dern just, Laura Dern, hold anybody up against a wall. But if you really want to make it count for the internet, make make that person be Florence Pugh. And with that completely unrelated segue, should we rate? <laughs> I oh, will damn. give Death Becomes mm-hmm. Her three out of five onks uh, for the reasons I mentioned at the top of the podcast when I spoiled my rating. Just felt like it could be a little bit better all around, but still... An enjoyable romp, Peter Draffer's Rolling Stone. (laughs) (laughs) Stealing from another uh, I see. (laughs) Sadie, do you get my Peter Travers joke? I have my recurring hilarious Peter Travers bit. Have you Jen, do you get it? Now that you have pointed it out, I kind of get it because in high school, I did used to read the Rolling Stone reviews and like give them some credence, but it's just, it's, it's so long ago. It's another life that Samantha, I wouldn't pick Peter up. Peter Travers famously <laughs> liked every, every movie and clearly just like wanted his quotes to be on like film posters and trailers and stuff. Oh. So he would just like come up with a really fun three word (laughs) like it's like the equivalent of like writing for like to be clipped in an interview or something you know so he would be like writing as though he knew it were going to be snipped out and put in a magazine article that's i mean like you know kind of respect like that What a good gig to set up for himself there for before, you know, like the internet really uh, took hold and like he was going to get roasted for it. Like, damn, be beloved of everyone in every movie you ever quote unquote reviewed. (laughs) That should be a movie. Sadie, take us away. 
Aham, Harriet. I had to mute myself because she was violently trying to destroy my armchair. And then she came up and tried to eat my microphone. Is that Harriet's rating? Wait, uh, Sadie and I haven't rated yet. I'm rating, I'm rating, I'm rating. Yeah, I I wanted Sadie to rate. I wasn't Uh, saying. When you said take us away, I didn't know if you meant that or you meant Sadie. Uh Close Uh it out. Say uh, the patrons. I want to say thank you to Sharon, <laughs> Lizzie, <laughs> Ebony, <laughs> Samantha. You can't do this while Sadie's voice is weak and she can't defend herself. I mean, you can, but I'm she'll be so back for you next week. <laughs> Samantha. Okay. I will. I actually sounded a lot like Meryl Streep when she was at her like near death points in this movie, Sadie. So I mean, good work. I do think that if I put a little bit of my back into it, I could be better than Meryl Streep at acting. Um, and that's my rating. I believe. No, no, no. Um, I will give it three out of five uh, peeled off skin chunks out of five. Um, and did I say three? I meant three. Three out of five. I just wanted to clarify. For a second, I thought I said five out of five. I don't give it five out of five. Um, This was a very enjoyable movie. I found myself, like, actually watching it instead of being kind of, like, bored, you know? (laughs) Like, uh, um, Ahem, Legends (laughs) of the Fall, (laughs) which was a real feat to get through. (laughs) Um, Like, I I thought it was enjoyable. Oh, my God. But it was... um, There were just some things that I would have done to make it better. And there were some parts of it that really didn't age well. And also the CGI was like kind of painful. So I wish that they had given just a second thought into how to make it a little bit more uh, long wearing in the special effects. Oh, God, I hiccuped special effects department. God, I'm falling apart, you guys. Um Girl, that LaCroix. I didn't even have a LaCroix. <laughs> I did have a Dr. Pepper for breakfast because I could take any solid food, but that's beside the point. Oh, no. Say, that's how I ruined Dr. Pepper for myself because that's always what I drank when I was sick. And then one time I got too sick and now oh. I can never taste the flavor it's of Dr. It's a shame Pepper. because Diet Dr. Pepper is the best diet soda. No, it, I can it, still do Diet Dr. Pepper, Samantha's though, Samantha, right. because that is a separate flavor and it is superior. I only drink yeah, Diet Yeah, we Dr. are Pepper. all in agreement on that diet dr pepper sponsor this podcast we are in Please. unanimous agreement dr pepper who diet is dr a woman. pepper 25 out of five <laughs> diet dr pepper yes. it tastes like cherry <laughs> kind of question mark new slogan <laughs> but moreover it tastes <laughs> yeah with bubbles and like just delightful. Doesn't make you feel hydrated, but doesn't make you feel dehydrated either. Makes you feel satisfied. And it has just a little bit of salt, like all diet sodas. And body mm. wants what it wants, you know. <laughs> because salt is again, I'm salt is not a seasoning. Salt is like a requirement. And I also give this movie a hmm, a three out of five. What the fuck is my web my 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 weapon? My rating gonna be a weapons <laughs> thrown at or through the bodies of uh clearly bisexual women who got way too confused in their envying each other rather than, you know, having sex with each other stage is what I will give this movie. Jen, what sorts of spray paints and cosmetic treatments should people <laughs> give to the lifeless 
uh, but reanimated corpse that is our podcast. Damn. <laughs> That's what's happening with our podcast. Wow. You can. We you can died talk on the after our... midnight episode. And, and <laughs> <laughs> we've just been. <laughs> Cursed to be alive. I'm the one in denial. Oh no, because I, I still, I love that movie. Sorry, Sadie, I love it. Um, I completely forgot what I was saying. Yes, you can talk to us. Our very beautiful reanimated corpse who will look young forever. Please don't never be hit with a shovel in the face because. Because we will have to report it. Oh, yeah. We would be really upset about that. Do, don't do do that. We don't want to know. Um, but, like, talk to us about, like, pleasant, superficial thoughts on Twitter at YSSTRG. We are superficial people. Or you can, like, email us. I mean, yeah. Uh, because we, we don't... We, no offense. But, like, we just don't have the bandwidth to be dealing with everybody's shit right now. These movies are exhausting. So if you have anything to say about the movie, you can also email us at YSSTOGpodcast at gmail. Although, uh, you know, given the, you know, aforementioned fact that these movies just wear us out, we check our email kind of irregularly. So we might not respond right away, but don't be offended by that because we will eventually find it and be thrilled that you emailed us. Or most importantly, you can help us continue to stream these movies legally and, you know, not be embarrassing ourselves like uh, little forever beautiful corpses whose paint is flaking off or anything. If you sponsor us at patreon.com slash YSSTOG. And then you can also come join us on our Discord server and talk to us about all this stuff and get increasingly amazing rewards or even suggest a movie to us that we have to honor each month, which is why we did this movie in the first place. Uh, did I leave anything out? Are we all good? Ahem, ahem. I'm ready to read off our lovely, wonderful Patreon stains. Of course. The most important part. Ahem. I would like to thank our most beautiful Logan, Logan Mayonnaise, Andrew, Althea, Xenalon, Sharon, Justin, Evan, Liz, Brittany, Ace, and Raimi the Void Heartleaf. I connected with Raimi about like how they wanted me to read off their name. And I was like, we could do a whole host of other of options. And this is what we landed on. And I'm still so happy with it. <laughs> Holy shit. I love that we get to end the episode Damn, with Raimi. the Void Heartleaf. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Raimi, our other patrons are going to have to step up their names. I would, uh, patron, one person needs to change their name to Diet Dr. Pepper so that we can say legally that Diet Dr. Pepper sponsors us. <laughs> and I would like to thank Isabella Rossellini, who does not sponsor us, but I just want to thank her. Just for like being out there and wearing that large necklace as a shirt. And for being so, thank so, you for so, your God service, bless her. Isabella so, Rossellini. So and God bless her 30 Rock line. Uh, Damn it, Johnny, you know I love my big beef and cheddar. She plays uh, <laughs> Alec Baldwin's ex wife in season one, and they argue over an Arby's franchise that they <laughs> own together. <laughs> Can you imagine just being born so fabulous that you go into acting and that, like, these are your roles? She's incredible. All right. I'm hitting the button.